Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, is it true that winners never quit? That seems to be a continuing theme. We got some questions to deal with that and a whole lot more here. Harry's is our sponsor today. Harry's has a brand new razor handle that I'm excited to tell you about. Stick around for that. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Can I build my success as a musician in Nashville, even as an outsider? Got a great story to tell you about a young lady who's done exactly that. And how do you balance winners never quit with just not being stupid? Can I really make money on eBay and Amazon? How can I find a grant to teach character, respect, patriotic values, and community in schools? Will a social entrepreneurship model work for my coffee and retail business? Well, hey, those are just a few of the ones we want to get to today. Great questions as always. you got a question, you can just go to the ask or go to 48days.com, click on the Ask Dan button. You can leave it there, or you can just shoot me an email directly at askdan at 48days.com. Here's our quotation for today. Now, I was reminded of this listening to my buddy Chris McCluskey's podcast on coaching, and he, he said that his mom used to bring this up periodically, but it's an old Albert Hubbard quotation that says, if I had but two loaves of bread, I would sell one of them and buy white hyacinths, feed my soul. Now, why does that capture us so? Why does that even make any sense? Let me read it again. If I had but two loaves of bread, I would sell one of them and buy white hyacinths to feed my soul. Now, surely if you were down to only two loaves of bread, the responsible thing to do would be to guard them carefully and ration them out as food for your family. However, you know, a life without beauty is just not one to be desired or admired in others. We all want beauty, art, aromas, and experiences for reasons other than just getting a bigger paycheck. And I love the fact that hyacinths are often associated with spring and rebirth. They're, they're very inexpensive. They come back year after year. So they really are a pretty good investment for a poor person who has little for splurges but still desires both beauty and something special to enjoy what are you doing to bring beauty into your life even if your bank account is low when you're just getting by with the basics no beauty at all i mean golly just a simple walk in the park i mean i i've heard sutton parks talk about this when he was bankrupt and living in his car you know how beautiful he realized the sky was just through the open sunroof in his car sitting in a truck parking lot at night or how he could walk around Redner Lake, enjoy the entire lake. Didn't have to own it, but he could enjoy it nonetheless. There's a whole lot of things out there. Well, hey, if you're looking for things to enjoy, and you, if you're looking for ways to bring art back into your life, you gotta come join us for our event called Innovate. 
That's coming up March 26th and 27th right here at the sanctuary. Innovate. Well, we're going to be talking about how to embrace art in your life. And that means if you're a musician, or sculptor, or poet, comedian, or speaker, coach, landscape designer, I mean, anything that you're doing where you're, you really are looking to bring back beauty and you want to make that a source of income for you. I mean, that's what we'll be talking about. Check out Innovate as one of our live events coming up here. It's our least expensive event we're doing all year. Uh, seats are filling up quickly. I'm delighted to see people, familiar names coming in there. People have been here for other things and coming back for that event we're now calling Innovate. Now, I do want to remind you about Harry's, harrys.com. That's where I get my razors. Just got a, you know, I think I got about a two-year supply of blades in recently, but I like to change the handles just because they're cool looking. And, Harry's has a brand new handle out called a Truman handle. They listened. I, I told them about my daughter, Ashley, complaining about it being slippery. It's a really smooth handle, typically. It has been since day one. And so she, when she's in the bathtub, the little soap in there, it's hard to hang on to. My son, Jared, shaving his bald head, same thing. He said, man, it's hard to hang on to. Well, they listened. They've come out with a new texturized handle called the Truman handle. Got one right here in my desk, beautifully done. Has It's like a rubberized handle, so it's easier to hang on to. So, hey, go to harrys.com, use 48 days, code, days as the code to get $5 off your first purchase. Again, harrys.com, 48 days as a code, $5 off your first purchase. Now, this comes from Josh Cook. It says, Dan, I just wanted to say thanks for being consistent with your podcast and your message. I listen to you every Saturday morning as I'm doing my chores. Look forward to each episode. You always have something to say that helps me out to doing work that you love. Well, hey, I thank you for your note. You know, I've, I've gotten just an explosion of, of notes from people. But also, you know, when, when you have an audience, and I talk about sharing other people's audiences, and I certainly do that. I mean, I share the audiences of Dave Ramsey and Michael Hyatt and Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and Jamie Tardy and a whole lot of other people out there. Uh, we, we do. We share audiences. But realize that comes after there is a relationship that's established. I get a whole lot of emails that say, like, here's, here's one. Okay, here's one that says, I want to post exciting stuff on your site. That's the lead in. Somebody I never heard of before says, I want to post exciting stuff on your site. And he goes on to tell me the stuff that if I'm lucky enough, you know, he'll write it for my site. I mean, are you kidding me? And then I'm getting flooded with publishers, not just authors, but major publishers who realize that podcasters, we have the audience today. Terrestrial radio is dying. I mean, CBS just announced they're selling off their radio division. That's the old Walter Cronkite, historical kind of tradition, it's gone. They're, they're trying to unload it because it's, it just doesn't work anymore. But podcasting, yep, everybody realizes, you know, we have audiences. And I get the most inane notes from people who, you know, I'm working with a CEO, author, and global keynote speaker who I thought you might be interested in interview with. Blah, blah, blah is CEO of blah, blah, blah consulting firm that advises top global leaders and boards of corporation at Disney, Cisco, Deloitte Consulting, Hilton Worldwide, HP, IBM, and more on the concept of quantifiable value of business relationships. 
through his best-selling books, compelling speeches, and valuable consulting, blah, 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 as it demonstrates the strategic, intentional, and quantifiable value of the relationships you choose to invest in. Well, I'll tell you what. Those things just are not appealing to me. I mean, we've got a whole lot of people in the 48 Days community and people like you and me who are doing things that are significant. And you do hear me talk about those things. So if John Lee Dumas has a new book, The Freedom Journal, sure, I'm going to talk about that and share it with you as a resource. When Pat Flynn comes out with Will It Fly? Cool little book on how to test an idea. Sure, I'm going to talk about that. But the, the things that I get from people, I mean, some of these things just put me to sleep just reading them. And, and they're wanting airtime on a podcast. Well, trust me, I screen through a whole lot of these things. And there's not going to be much that's going to get through the, get through the, the obstacle course that I'm going to share valuable time here. How about this one? Here's a new book. The Misinformation Hidden in the Little Data You Consume Every Day by a leading economist and statistician uh, teaches readers to become effective discerning users of data by explaining how to correctly interpret all the small bites you encounter throughout the day. Okay, uh, I, I don't even want to go on. Well, hey, speaking, of, speaking of resources, I do have another one I want to tell you about, and that's Fresh Books. Now, this is one that I'm really pretty hot on because... This is a system for small businesses like us to create really beautifully done invoices. So if you mow somebody's yard or wash their windows or detail their car or provide a coaching service or sell them a book, wow, this is a cool way to put invoice that makes you look like you really know what you're doing. They're very professional. And I reached out to them because I was getting invoices from people using fresh books. The guy who just did Joanne's new website. Fresh books invoice. Man, these are really cool. Well, they're very easy to do. I want you to go to there and check it out. And you can get a month of unrestricted use of doing anything you want to there, creating your own invoices. Just go check it out. You don't even need to put in a credit card for the free trial. To claim your free month, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days. And then when it asks you, how did you hear about us? Tell them 48 days. You get a free month. Check it out. Freshbooks.com slash 48 days. Now I want to tell you about a young lady who is a musician right here in Franklin, Tennessee. Now her name is Sheila. Sheila. That's right. Sheila. Okay. Now it's spelled C-S-I-L-L-A. That's why I had to pause a little bit and remember how she told me to pronounce it like a cheetah. Sheila. Okay. I had lunch with her on Friday. Now, she's asked me probably half a dozen times. I don't know, maybe eight or ten times to have lunch, to meet with her. Even before she moved here, when she lived over in Virginia, she heard I was going to be in the same town she was in, asked me. Uh, wasn't able to do that, but she's continued to come back, and I finally had lunch with her. Just a delightful young lady. But here's the deal. She's been in Nashville two months. Two months. And she's already booked five concerts. Now, the last one she did was a small 450-member church. They gave her a $2,500 love offering, and she sold over $700 worth of product. Now, how has she been so lucky? And of course, she's got people asking her that. You know, how can you come to town? Not only just come to town. I mean, this young lady was born in Romania. I mean, she didn't even grow up here. She came here from Romania. She had no connections. 
she comes to town, comes to Nashville, and in the first two months books five concerts, making money, more money than a lot of musicians have ever made in their 20-year career. Well, here's how she's doing it. I'm going to tell you exactly how she's doing it. She told me that I, I could share this with you. I mean, she ought to package this and sell it as a plan. She knows that churches are busy on Mondays and Fridays, so she doesn't contact them on those days. But on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, she spends the first two hours of her day making phone calls. Yes, old-fashioned phone calls. I mean, not posting a new photo on Facebook or sending out a tweet, but simply making phone calls. And she said that in that two-hour period, she usually gets one to two warm leads every day. And from those, she nurtures relationships that lead to bookings. Five bookings, and she's already gotten them. And again, she's making money doing these, believe me. It reminded me of my friend Andy Andrews. Now, a lot of you know Andy, you know, New York Times bestselling author. He's got a whole bunch of books out. He's spoken in front of like five presidents now and just an amazing main Probably the best storyteller I've ever heard in my life. But when he was first starting out, now, this has been a long time ago. He tapped his buddy on the shoulder, Robert D. Robert D. Smith, a lot of you know that name. He lives right here close to me in Franklin. Andy lives down in a, on an island. That's another story. But it, Robert lives right here. And Andy asked Robert, his friend, he said, hey, help me get these bookings. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I want to get booked in high schools doing my comedy presentation. We'll charge him 500 bucks if you can help me get booked. You know, we'll just do that. And Robert said, okay. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll help you out until you find somebody that knows what they're doing. Well, that was about 35 years ago. That's their agreement, incidentally. They just did a handshake agreement. I won't tell you the specifics of that, but it it has served them both extremely well. They both have done extremely well financially. But here's the deal. Robert discovered that he could not do 30 calls without getting one booking. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, my gosh, pick up the phone, 30 calls. I don't want to have to do that. Robert thought he struck gold. When he discovered that formula, he could make 30 calls and always get one booking. I mean, it was like, geez, this is too easy. All I have to do is make 30 calls, and I'm going to get one booking for Andy. That's how he started out. Well, guess what? It still works. That's how Sheila is still reaching out to make new connections. And she's doing that in a variety of ways, not only making the phone calls, but she was just recently invited to a Bible study here in Franklin. She met a lady who owns a very popular tea room here in Franklin and got booked just a result of that chance meeting. She got booked to provide background music during two complete lunch sessions on Easter Sunday. Now, she's going to do like Nora Jones and Adele covers, and she's a beautiful singer. You can check her out, incidentally. You can check it out and just go to... Sheila, just her name, and it's C-S-I-L-L-A music.com. That's her website. Go tell her we're talking about her. She's willing to share what she's doing. And her name is C-S-I-L-L-A music.com. That's where her site is. You'll see how she's laid that out. Now, she also went to the John Maxwell team training, and she wrote a song about how significant that was for her. And now she's been asked to come back to their national convention and perform it live. <laughs> now, she only has about 200 names on her email list. I mean, that's another thing that blew me away because people are looking for 50,000 Facebook lights 
and you know 20,000 people on their email yeah she's got about 200 names that hasn't stopped her from getting in the game now people here in Nashville are asking her how she's been so lucky how she's been able to get such prominence and such opportunities in such a short period of time and when she described what she was doing to another local aspiring singer the other gal said well I'm not into that kind of self-promotion oh well to quote Dr. Phil how's that working for you and there are people we hear every day you know I'm just hoping to get a lucky break or I know someone who knows someone who's a music producer you know I'm going to try to get in front of them or here, here's one. Here's the, one of my favorites. I'm just waiting on God. If he wants it to happen, it'll happen. It doesn't depend on me. Well, then we could park there. But I just wanted to share that just as an encouragement for those of you who have anything. I don't care what it is. If it's music, if it's art, if it's mowing lawns, or if it's washing cars, or if it's writing a book. You do the things that Sheila is doing. You're going to get success. You don't have to be the best, but you have to get in the game and let people know what it is that you do. Well, let me move on. Archie, thank you so much for the opportunity to share that. Uh, such an inspiration. I'll be sharing that to other musicians for a long time. Archie says, Dan, I asked you a question the other day about inventing, designing something for a guitar that I've never seen. And I believe it would be beneficial to any guitarist or any instrument held in the same way a guitar is held while playing. That said, and I know you've covered this before, but can you give a brief explanation of how to get started creating the new device, patents, etc.? I'm sure there are a lot of 48 Days members who would like to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, when, when you have something that's an invention, that's a physical product like that, my advice is to build a prototype. I don't care what it is, you can do some kind of a prototype. If you have to make it out of cardboard and scotch tape, I mean, that's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be a prototype. And if you do need something that has to be die cast or has to be made out of metal or plastic, you can find those people real easily online. I mean, I've got sources. You can just Google it and find those. But what I recommend is that you get a prototype. And if it's something that you think guitarists would use, ask 50 of them. Don't worry about protecting your idea and having a patent. You'll waste a whole lot of valuable time chasing something down a wrong road when you do that. Just ask 50 people who play the guitar if this is something that they would use. If 49 of them say, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for something like that for years. This is awesome. This is amazing. Then you know you have something worthwhile. But what people do often is the counterpart to that. You know, they have their idea. They don't want to share it with anybody. They're afraid somebody's going to steal it. And so they go to a manufacturer and they take $10,000 out of their grandma's CD account and they get these things manufactured. And so now they've got a thousand of them in their garage and then they get a patent on it. They spend another $5,000 and then they show the first one to a prospective guitar player. And he says, good grief. We've had that for years. Here's what I use. It works better than that. That's not what you want to hear. So the first thing is to test the market. Do people even want it or care about it? Now, beyond that, you can do some exploration. I got a couple sites here you can check out. One is quirky.com, Q-U-I-R-K-Y.com. You've heard me talk about them a couple years ago. I haven't talked about them in a couple years because they got in financial trouble. They're, they were growing so rapidly and they got in financial trouble. But they have new ownership and they're doing the same model that they did before, which is really cool. 
you can check out your idea. They'll help you develop it. And if they develop it into something, and there's a whole lot of moving parts to getting something actually on the shelves at Walmart or Costco or Sam's Club or something like that. So welcome the input of other people who have a track record in some of those other parts. Quirky.com is one. The other one is EdisonNation.com. Those are two places you can go. Just check it out. Just share your ideas there. Good people. You can check out the ideas and see if it's something worth moving forward. Don't respond to late night TV commercial for people that are going to patent your idea. They'll lure you in and you'll spend a whole lot of money in something that really doesn't have any value. All right, this comes from Chris who says, Dan, in your make $1,176 in the side webinar, you mentioned that the model winners never quit is silly and that you've started projects and if they're not successful, you moved on. In Chapter 11 of 48 Days to the Work You Love, one of the traits listed for a successful business owner is number 11, can you stick with it? Are you willing to make at least a one-year commitment no matter how bleak it may look? Could you explain further what the difference between these two statements might mean? Thanks so much. Keep up the fantastic work. Well, thanks, Chris. Yeah, great question. You know, when I say that's a stupid adage, winners never quit and quitters never win. Well, that's not true. Winners do quit. They quit often. I do. I quit often. However, on the other part of that, yeah. I mean, I hear a lot of people who started a blog and they blog for three months. Gee, they didn't get a lot of responses, so they quit. Well, that's too soon. Or they started a podcast. And they podcasted for four months and didn't seem to be getting any traction. You know, they weren't getting 100,000 downloads, so they just quit. Well, that's too soon. I mean, I started my newsletter in August of 2000. You've heard me tell this old story, but I started in August of 2000 with 67 people whose email addresses I had. I've never missed a week. We're now in March, almost April of 2016. What is that? So we're going on 16 years. I've never missed a week. That consistency has paid off. I've had over 140,000, almost 150,000 at this point, people who have subscribed to that newsletter. And I think consistency has a whole lot to do with it. So there is something magic that you touched on here with my principle in 48 Days to the Work You Love. Are you willing to make at least a one-year commitment no matter how bleak it may look? That's what I would recommend doing. But if after a year you are working on your new business and you're generating $200 a month and you really have been putting in 8 to 10 hours a week on working that business, then I would question, is it really a viable business that's going to take off? It may be time to draw a line in the sand and quit. Redirect. Take what you learned and go in another direction. Now, you also, you've heard me say there are only two outcomes when you try something. Either you win or you learn we don't use fail around here it has no place in our vocabulary because if you try a new business idea and after a year you're making 200 dollars a year or, or a month or maybe a year but if you're making 200 dollars a month i would say it's not worth continuing that doesn't mean you failed you can take what you've learned from that process and more quickly springboard to success in another perhaps even aligned area That's what I would recommend you do. So, winners never quit? No. But what I don't want to see is somebody who's got a little idea and they've been working it for seven years and it's just never taken off. Eh, Quit. 
I mean, I, I talk to people who have been working on a book manuscript for seven years. I tell them, hey, throw in the fireplace. Start over. Just take some of the process you've learned and move on with something fresh and new. But even there, you know, it doesn't take seven years to create a book manuscript. That's way too long. So, yes, winners quit. Not in 30 days, but after a year, if something's not moving, I think it's a reasonable time frame. Great question. Terry says, I recently heard your podcast where you spoke about a former pastor and his wife now selling shoes on eBay and Amazon. This really piqued my interest. Do you have any more information on how this process works? I know that you said it was brand new liquidated and discounted shoes. Do they just go around to stores and buy them in bulk and then just sell them on their own? I'd love to find out more about this and possibly do the same thing with running shoes. Thanks so much for all that you do. I love your 48 Days to the Work You Love and your podcast. Well, Terry, great question. Great setup. Yeah, absolutely. You can do that. And are people making money? Absolutely. I know lots of people who are making lots of money on eBay and Amazon. Now, the thing is, you don't just stick your toe in the water, just go to a garage sale and buy up a couple pieces and put them up there. Yeah, you might learn a little bit, but if you're going to do it, learn how to do it well. I'll put a link in the in the show notes to my buddy Jim Cochran's material. Uh, Jim, well, he's one of the premier teachers. Great guy, but he's taught a whole lot of people how to make money on Amazon. His book is Silent Sales Machine. But uh, the best overview probably there is there. I need to have Jim on. You know what? I need to do that. I need to just make a note to have Jim on just for a brief interview just to talk about this. It comes up so often. I'll get him on, Jim Cochran to talk to us about how to make money on eBay and Amazon. It'll blow your mind, some of the stories he's got. Ursula says, I'm a public school teacher. I've been teaching for 20 years. I have a seven-year-old son who attends a public school. I have a heart for the public schools, but as a Christian, I feel there's so many gaps in the system. I'm finally ready to act. The first one is that I would like to write a grant that would pay for me to teach things that are no longer taught such as character, respect, patriotic values, and community. I know our principal would allow me to teach this, but we don't have the funds. Any suggestion on a grant? Can you link me up with someone who can help me with a grant? I feel so strong about this that I'm willing to spend my own money to get someone to help me write this grant. Okay, a couple things here. And yes, do I know somebody? Absolutely. It was just last week that I talked about Mickey Vandaloo. Mickey Vandaloo at Lakeview Consulting has a product. And you, if you put in, now here's the deal. I'm going to tell you where to go. The title of her product is Grants for All. Now, Grants and then for the number, Grants for All Training Manual. And if you just put it in a Google search, you're going to find it right away. And then if you use Save 100 as the discount code, you're going to get $100 off of that training manual. That's normally $197, and I've been referring people to that for a long time. But you can get $100 off, which makes it only $97. Get that. And contact Mickey. She'll coach you on how to get a grant. So do that. The other thing, though, is I'm wondering why you need a grant to teach it. I mean, what, what do you need to do, do if you are prepared to teach things like character, respect, patriotic values, and community. I assume you've already pulled together the content that you would be teaching. I'm not sure why you even need a grant to do that. Why don't you start doing it? 
mean, if your principal supports that, it's new content area. Um, well, anyway, if you need a grant, I think it's available, but I also think you could move right into that without getting a grant. You know, a lot of people get stuck on this, gee, I need money. I need to borrow money. And I talk to people who want to start a podcast who are trying to figure out who's going to invest $100,000 in their company. I'm like, are you dreaming? What, what are you thinking? Why, why would it require money? Why would you give up any portion of the ownership of your company if it does have any value? Just start. Just get in the game. So many things today don't require upfront money at all. Demarius. Oh, we got some cool names today. Ursula. Demarius. Anyway, Demarius from New York says, Dan, I'm currently in the beginning stages of starting my own business. Between creating my website and establishing services, I will be providing virtual assistance services. How do I juggle personal development and education without the information overload? For instance, I listen to you and Michael Hyatt, and I'm currently reading The Art of the Start and participate in some VA Facebook groups, but it can become overwhelming. As a side question, what's the number one challenge you as a speaker and author have that a VA can assist you with? My niche is helping coaches, speakers, and authors. Thanks for your time in this program. All right, Demarius, thanks for your question. You're reading Art of the Start. That's, uh, let's see, that's Guy Kawasaki. So, yeah, great stuff. How do you find time for personal development? Here's what, I, here's what I use. I dedicate two hours a day to personal development. Now, I don't know if that sounds like a lot or not a whole lot. You know, I, I don't spend six hours a day. I mean, sometimes, but that's rare. But on a consistent basis, two hours a day is devoted to listening to podcasts, reading books, attending webinars, seminars, workshops, or whatever. Two hours a day. That's it. That keeps me really plugged in with what's happening, gives me exposure to a whole lot of fresh information, keeps me on track to read, you know, 50 or 60 books a year, which I love doing. But that's it, two hours a day. So I would encourage you, don't just get bogged down in this. And if you can't do two hours a day, do 90 minutes. I mean, that's okay. But do something consistent, but then don't feel like you have to do four more hours or else you're not in the game. Just budget your time like you do for everything else if you're just working on personal development and gathering information and knowledge you aren't making any money so you have to do that a little bit but then engage because the only way a business makes sense is if you're creating revenue so don't take away from your opportunities to create revenue but make sure that you're continuing to grow and develop and my recommendation is two hours a day incidentally you said what what do i use a VA for, well, I currently have 17 different, now you can call them VAs or independent contractors, but they're not employees, so we could put in VA, but I everything. I mean, web design and maintenance, I mean, marketing. Uh, we use Entreport as the back end. It's a very robust back end of our system where we can then use lead pages. We can track exactly who responds to a lead page. So we know when we did the webinar last week on how to create side income. We know exactly who responded to that. We know exactly who listened to the webinar, who re took action with the offer that we had. I mean, all those things. But that's We have uh, virtual assistants that track that, that help us with those segmented email lists, uh, virtual assistants that handle our Facebook promotions, integrating all social media. I mean, coordinating blogs, podcasts, tweets, promo emails. I, mean, I have VAs that do product covers that help us build the sequences 
for launching new products. I've got somebody right now working with me, a VA, working with me on our Kickstarter program that I'm putting together for Joanne's new book that will be launching in about a month. So, yeah, I use VAs for lots and lots of things. Great option for us and love what they provide, believe me. Now, Laura has a rather lengthy question here. Let me just uh, give you a synopsis. I'm a 29-year-old employed at a major law firm as a project assistant. I've been at the law firm for three years, but cannot stand my job. I hate having to sit at a desk for eight to nine hours a day and I become increasingly more unhappy, bored, and unsatisfied with my work. I just started reading 48 Days to the Work You Love and learned invaluable insight. Before my current job, I worked at a local coffee company for an entire year as a barista and enjoyed most of the work but felt like I needed to prove myself in education by joining the reins of the corporate world. Wow, let me take a break right there. And I'll give you a, just a short version of Laura's question from there on. You know, isn't it funny that you hear from people who are doing things that they really love, but then they think that somehow there's this pressure to be responsible and to get in the corporate world. Are you kidding me? When I worked with a young guy one time, it was hilarious. He was 27 years old. He had taken, you know, the 10-year plan, I think, going through college, but had just gotten out of college. And while he was in college, you know, he had an absolute blast. Graduated, took a job with an insurance company where every day he showed up in a suit and tie. They loved him. He was absolutely ready to pull his hair out. He hated the whole thing. And I said, dude, who sold you this bill of goods? And he says, well, what do you mean? I thought that's how it worked. You, you go through school and then you give up everything you enjoy and you just get a job and then you just, you know, grind out the work that has to be done. I said, man, that's not how it works. I said, what are you interested in? You know, what do you do for fun? Well, he described you know, snowboarding and skiing and whitewater rafting. And his dad had a race car, a professional race car, and he would travel with his dad on the weekends and they'd race open wheel race cars well we designed, we went through a, a short planning process and set him up to take a position designing snowboards for a little shop in breckenridge colorado i mean this is the kind of guy that will be coming down coming down the mountain at 2 a.m in the morning in the moonlight checking out a new design that he's working on and last i heard that's exactly what he's doing i i, I freed him from feeling like he was obligated to join the corporate world to be a responsible adult. No, that's not responsible. That's ludicrous. The responsible thing to do is to stay in touch with your heart, stay in touch with what brings you joy, stay in touch with where your real passion is that God has given you, and put legs on that so you get to do it daily. Well, anyway, let, let me go back to Laura here. I got on a tangent there. and I'm on one of my high horses. Well, Laura, okay, so Laura's 29 years old working in a law firm because she's trying to be responsible, but she remembers how much she enjoyed working in a coffee shop as a barista before that. But then she went and got a bachelor's in English and minored in art, but she's really struggled with how to use those in her professional life. She has a lot of hobbies. So here's the deal. A few weeks ago, I started seeing my business ideas more than just a coffee and retail business, but as a way to support and minister to the global communities as well. In addition to this concept, I'd like to sell merchandise that either supports or is made by independents in countries of poverty. I'd like to make my main goal about supporting countries through fair traded goods where the funds directly help the livelihood and welfare of those in dire need. I'm seeking a way of how this business can support myself, but also who it can impact and support those in need. 
For me, my life's work isn't about me, myself, and it's more about expanding and enriching God's kingdom rather than my bank account. I've been burdened to think of my brother's needs more than my own, and I want my business to be about how I can use my skills, talents, resources, and heart to be a light to this dark and shaken world by buying and selling fairly. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to stop there. Great, great letter. Laura, I love your letter. I love your heart, what you're trying to do. Let me just give you a short bit of caution. And that's really what it is, is a short bit of caution. When you talk about having a physical location for your coffee shop and a retail business where you want to sell fair trade goods, and I love that model. I mean, check out 10,000 Villages. I mean, they source products from all over the world. People who are great artisans, craftsmen, who are making products, 10,000 Villages. I mean, those, those are actually the name of their stores where they sell them, but you can tap into a whole lot of people like that. If you want to have fair trade coffee, kind of like look at what Pura Vita Coffee did in that space. There's a whole lot of other people that are doing great work in that arena and are doing what I call social entrepreneurship businesses where they are doing well and doing good, meaning you can be profitable, financially successful, and still be doing things that are socially responsible, godly, humanitarian, all those wonderful things we all want to do. However, it's very, very challenging to make a retail business work. To open up a coffee house, you have to be in exactly the right location, you're going to compete against Starbucks and a lot of other well-known brands. You're going to have entry-level employees. You're going to try to justify paying them $7.50 an hour because you have people that come in and sit there for three hours after they bought a $3 cup of coffee. It really is challenging to make it work. Be very, very careful of wanting to be humanitarian and godly as your primary focus. I mean, first, you have to be profitable. Or nothing works. It doesn't hold up. You don't have a business. You have to be profitable. So make sure you have a business that is extremely profitable first. Yeah, you can do all those things you want to do. Yes, you can treat people fairly. But you have to be profitable. And this is a real challenging business model that you're talking about. I mean, it, I like things that scale a little more than this. I like things where you can be purchasing coffee from people in Ecuador and Costa Rica and Kenya and Uganda. But you can bring in truckloads of coffee, process the beans and sell them as fair trade coffee, and you know, do something unique in that space, and you can ramp that up. But when you have a physical location, you're going to have there's 60 seats in there that max you out. There's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. There's a low, low ceiling on what you could possibly do. Now, I'm he I hear your heart on you're saying money. Making money is not the primary thing. But at the same time, you can't keep the doors open if you're not making money. I was just, I was just on the board of an organization that is an offshoot of a parent organization that is a really worthy organization. Now, I personally don't serve on nonprofit boards, but they asked me to come on with this new branch that was set up as a for-profit division. So totally new company, for-profit. I said, sure. 
because I really like the model. We're going to teach young men, young ladies, how to make really great products. We're going to sell those. They're going to learn the business principles, and they're going to funnel profits back into the parent organization. That was the premise. I was on the board for three years, just resigned last week. Because they very quickly realized they had overestimated dramatically profits that could be generated out of this. And they pretty much as quickly, instead of adjusting the business model, which I think could have easily been done, they reverted back to a nonprofit status where they simply became a competitor for the donations of the parent company, which I thought was ludicrous as a response. you got to be kidding me. All you did was just create a competitor for meager donations that everybody's going after instead of correcting the business model. Don't make your coffee house a nonprofit. Don't think that because you have a worthy idea, people ought to feel sorry for you and give you money. No. People come in there and give you money if you have great coffee, if you have great service, great place to hang out, great Wi-Fi. I mean, if they're going to get something out of it, people aren't going to help you just because you're doing something worthy. So you, you have to have a viable business model. Got to be done. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some individual themes that I'm going to develop. There's going to be some weeks this month where I'm going to be traveling and I want to pre-record a couple episodes here and there. I need to do that. Just this whole idea of how to build a social entrepreneurship business, how to build a business where you can have it be profitable and still accomplish your humanitarian godly goals. I mean, I certainly want to do that through 48 days. Wow. Are we a for-profit business? You better believe it. Do we make a lot of profits? You better believe it. And I'm looking at how we can increase that every day. Do we do things that are humanitarian, godly, and serving the community well? I hope we do an extraordinary job in that arena. Can we give away materials to worthy organizations? You better believe it. When we make donations, when there are foundations locally here that are doing fundraisers, you better believe it. You know, will we... Uh, allow people to come through an event, you know, if they've really positioned themselves well at no cost to them. Yeah, you better believe it. The only reason we're able to do those things is because we have a financial model first. We have a model that generates enough profit so that we're able to do those things, not the other way around. Okay, anyway, Laura, I hope, I hope you're dramatically successful in what you're doing, but go into it with your eyes open. Make sure that you've got a model that will stand on its own uh, before you start thinking about how you're going to give away money. Now, this comes from Martin. <laughs> I love this, and it kind of coattails, and I'll probably just wrap it up with this one. Anyway, Martin says, can I take you to lunch or even dinner? In 2015, now I love what he shares here. This is a really cool story. In 2015, you inspired me to launch my hobby of furniture design into a real business. I don't remember the episode, maybe it was a few of them, but between the story of your friend who reads history books for a living, you know, Jim Hodges, and the three legs of the stool, talent, passion, and market, I decided to take action on my passion. I plan on keeping my engineering job. Now, keep in mind, he's, he says he's, he has a hobby of furniture design. And then he goes on. Martin says, I plan on keeping my engineering job until I build $100,000 in your advice, which is my goal for 2016. So he's doing furniture design 
and is projecting billing 100000 I'm not there yet, but I know it will take only two or three big jobs, and I'm already bidding on one job that would be between thirty dollars and $50,000. Now, I love that. Love that Martin has taken action on his business idea, his hobby, his passion, and in as much as, well, gee, how are you going to compete with Ikea? You know, how are you going to compete with Henredon? How are you going to compete with those big furniture manufacturers? Well, just be different. Be so distinctive. I mean, the old Steve Martin thing, be so good they can't ignore you. That's all you have to do. Love that, that he's seeing the opportunity to build $100,000 in his furniture design business hobby that he's developing. Now, here's Martin's question. I want to respond to this, too. I'm in San Diego, he says. I would love to take your advice again and take you and Joanne out when you're here for Social Media Marketing World. My favorite venue is my friend's Moroccan restaurant, which is perfect for dinner. Wow, that sounds awesome. Now, Martin, I love how your furniture business is developing, and I love how you're on track to hit $100,000 this year. Now, as for our trip to San Diego, that's going to be challenging. I hope to see a whole lot of you in San Diego, incidentally. This is Social Media Marketing World, which starts on the 17th of April and runs through the 19th. Now, I'm super booked with the events and people at Social Media Marketing World Conference. We land on Sunday afternoon. Joanne, my daughter Ashley and I, Brian Dixon, head of our marketing department, we're going to get in Sunday afternoon. Get there at about 1 o'clock. I have a speaker's reception at 4 o'clock, followed by the big party for everyone on the USS Midway at 7 o'clock that night. Then we got Tuesday and Wednesday. Now I'm doing presentations both, both days. I'm doing presentations, book signings, and I'm already committed to breakfast, lunch, and dinner on those two days. I did just check my schedule to see if maybe we could join you and go to your Moroccan restaurant on Wednesday, but... Unfortunately, my flight back to Nashville is at 9.25 a.m. on Wednesday. So it's, you know, Joanne and I would have loved to have had a couple extra days in San Diego. We did that last year, but uh, this year it's just a really tight trip in and out. Maybe next year we can meet and celebrate that. I want to celebrate that $100,000 mark. But, uh, Valley, thanks for the invitation to that. Love what you're doing. Again, thanks for sharing your story. Speaking of events coming up, got a whole lot of them that are uh, going to have a lot of fun in the next couple months here. Hope to see a lot of you at these various things. Some of you will be coming here for Innovate in May. Some of you will be coming for Coaching with Excellence. That's in May as well. I'm going to be at SCORE, Speakers Conference in Orlando. That's the first week in May. Then I'll be back in at Launch Conference with my buddy Ken Davis in Orlando, April 3rd through the 7th. Right after that, we'll be at Social Media Marketing World. Let's see, then we'll be at New Media Europe. I'm hearing from people. We're all, we already have a bunch of dinners and lunches booked for those of you who are in Europe who will be coming to New Media Europe in London. What a hoot. Mike Britton is a new friend. We're going to be going down to the incredible castle where he lives down in Brighton right after New Media in Europe, get together with Alexandra uh, sometime during those couple days. Anyway, a lot of you that we're hearing from, yeah, I'd be absolutely delighted to book some individual time with you at New Media Europe. Got the links to all that in the show notes today, so you can go right there. Use our affiliate link to sign up for that. It lets them know that you're coming because of us, and it also gets you into a reception that we're doing. It's like an $80 reception that we're doing, so use the link 
for New Media Europe to make sure that you get our ticket to join us for that. We'll have some time to hang out and talk. Then right after that podcast movement, Chicago, going to be a great time. Also, we're starting to see registrations come in for the Ultimate Advantage Cruise, our next cruise that will be leaving from Fort Lauderdale. Celebrity Silhouette, that comes up in February. Living well, doing good. Hey, thanks for being part of this group where you are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and, yes, profitable.